This weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with the DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. Billy Fusello, huge, Taylor. Huge! (laughs) For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. So if you haven't tried it yet, fantasy MMA is pretty easy. Uh, so you just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. Uh, there's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for shots at millions of dollars in total prizes. Just like there's no easier way to uh, make a million dollars off a fight to just be a bum who can't fight and challenge Jake Paul. Yeah. I know that's boxing, but hey, Still relevant. easiest money you ever make. You just take one punch, go down, that's it. I could do that. <laughs> um, plus don't forget about fantasy basketball and hockey where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the you know i do forget about hockey <laughs> for now DraftKings is safe secure and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw funds at your convenience isn't that isn't that great that's that's so great are you a big mma guy taylor i like watching it when i'm drunk which is convenient because it's on at 1 a.m on a saturday <laughs> fair enough fair enough well You, and along with everybody else listening right now, should download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. So there's your options for you. You can either download DraftKings or you could just get paid a million dollars to get punched in the face. Really, the choice is yours. Yeah. But that is promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of straight up sabers presented by the hockey podcast network and buffalo fanatics as always i'm brendan and i'm taylor and taylor on the heels of a two nothing loss to the boston bruins the sabers are now looking down their final 10 game stretch of the season how are you feeling with uh, 10 games to go? Where are you at with the Sabres right now? Oh, man. Let's get it over with, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the season's gone on forever, but we're only really like past the halfway point of what would be a normal season. But yeah, it, it's it feels like it's been 100 years. And all I want to see out of these last 10 games is more of the young guys we talked last episode. We're not going to see Eichel. So let's just see Sam at center, see more Asplund, Middlestat, Rootsalainen, see let's see the fellas all hanging out love that and speaking of sam at center one uh, little bit of news that made waves this week was don granado's comments about sam reinhardt remaining at center and pretty much saying he doesn't see a point of moving him back to the wing because he thinks that he's doing so well as it is but also has a lot of room to grow do you think that don granado reads twitter before his press conferences <laughs> hey i know it seems like that but maybe <laughs> Maybe he just is a guy that sees very obvious things and is like, yeah, let's do that. So this begs the question, Taylor, the question that's been coming up quite a bit uh, online between Sabres fans. I know we've seen people who are bloggers, writers, pretty much everybody's talking about it. Is is Donnie Meatballs the answer? Is Don Granado worth keeping around and removing the interim tag from? Or do you think that the team should still look elsewhere? Well, they should look elsewhere, but he's definitely worth considering. They they should not just do the Ron Rolston like, uh, well, I don't know, that didn't go so bad, so I guess the job's yours. They shouldn't do that. 
the one I'm thinking of in particular is Bruce Boudreau. Uh, I, if he wants a job, his job, according you know, as far as I'm concerned, if I was running the show, there's also obviously there's other guys that are available. Like, isn't Claude Julian still available? He is. Uh, Gerard Gallant. I'm not actually interested in Claude Julian. I don't know why I brought him up. Yeah, but I'm not either. <laughs> Gerard Gallant, obviously a very good coach, I think. But like, I think everyone thinks he's going to Seattle. I think and it's if a I was him, conclusion. I would. Yeah. So that's fine. Uh, then the other guy we talked about, like Nate Lehman, that he that's okay. I think we already gave our thoughts on him, and we we went over his his background a little bit, and everyone knows Boudreaux's. I did want to talk a little bit about Granados because I think it's interesting, and I don't know how much Sabres fans really know about how he got to Buffalo and how that all happened. And it's kind of interesting. Um, Ralph Kruger is someone that had a very unconventional resume to say the least, not a lot of experience coaching the NHL or North American hockey in general. Kevin Adams is someone that has no real resume in front office. So you might think Don Granada, where do they get this assistant coach? Like the Pepsi center or something like that. (laughs) The answer is no. You probably you probably have heard of his family. So people, I think, know that his brother's Tony Granado, who was a longtime coach. He's coaches Wisconsin. He used to coach the Avalanche. Was a good NHL player. And his sister's Cami Granado. I think his sister's married to Ray Ferraro. I should look into that. But yes, yeah, Cami Granado is also like one of the best women's hockey players ever. And Ray Ferraro is not a coach. He was a good player as well. Uh, anyway. So his, he has an interesting path. He was not a, an NHL player. He played in the USHL. Uh, and then the ECHL, and I believe he then went, to, or sorry, between then he went, he went to the university of Wisconsin, like his brother, Tony, he won the national championship there in 1990. And then he played in the ECHL. Uh, and then he coached, he only played pretty briefly. Didn't have much of a career pro wise. And then he coached in the USHL. He coached the green Bay gamblers and the Wisconsin capitals for around five years. And he went to one championship with the gamblers and then he got hired by the Columbus Chill of the ECHL. And then the Peoria Riverman, where he won the ECHL championship. And when he got hired in the AHL for the Worcester Ice Cats. He was a 2001 AHL coach of the year and was promoted to being an assistant coach with the Blues eventually. Uh, and then later was an assistant coach with the Chicago Wolves, or sorry, was the coach of the Chicago Wolves. And then earlier this decade, he coached the U.S. Hockey National Development Program Following that, he was an assistant coach for Wisconsin and then an assistant coach for the Chicago Blackhawks. And then he became an assistant coach for the Sabres and obviously now coaches the Sabres. So that's a, that's a, that's the resume of someone who gets hired as a head coach for the first yeah. time. That's not a weird fake resume. That's a decent resume. And he's had a lifetime in hockey and he's got had a lot of success throughout the years at USHL, ECHL, AHL. And he's been around the NHL coaching wise for a few years. He's been around college hockey. He's been everywhere. So as far as resume goes, it makes sense. And as far as results, you have to like what you see. I mean, he's only six, nine and three overall since he took over, but I think Kevin Adams coached at least two of those games. Uh, they're six, four and two in their last 12. It's not bad considering mm-hmm. no Eichel, all Mark's been hurt now. Everything else, the 10 other things that I could list there that you all know already. So he's a candidate to me. He's a reasonable candidate and I wouldn't be that mad. Unless they didn't do a search, because that would just be more, you know, Pagula bullshit. Yeah, definitely agree. I think for me, Granado is number two right now in terms of the candidacy. I and I think that that's where my list ends. 
Number one on my list is Bruce Boudreau for the reasons that we have mentioned previously on this podcast. I mean, we had a whole podcast pretty much dedicated to laying out the reasons for why they should hire him. And it's obvious, you know, 10 playoff appearances and 13 seasons as a head coach, he, wherever he went, pretty much took teams. He got them to the playoffs. It was, it was almost a guarantee with him at the helm. And he won the division in his first eight years. He won, right. He won the division his first eight years. And on top of that, everywhere he went, his star players excelled and hit their full potential if we're being honest. So the reason that we want Bruce Boudreaux, both you and I, I think we can agree, comes down to experience. There's not a lot of experience in the Sabres organization right now. There's really nobody who has a demonstrated winning pedigree um, front office or behind the bench for that matter. You know, the Pagoulas seemingly don't really know what they're doing and haven't known what they're doing, considering the fact that we are now about to hit a 10-year playoff drought. So that obviously makes Bruce Boudreaux very attractive as an option and why he's the number one option, I would say for, for us and a lot of other people, when you don't have experience though, what you at least can go off of is philosophy. And that alone has me extremely, extremely okay. Becoming more and more okay with the idea of hiring Don Granado as the head coach and removing the interim tag. I would say at the time of Ralph Kruger's firing, I was wholeheartedly convinced that Bruce Boudreaux was the answer. There was nobody else. That's who we needed to get. The report started to come out that he had interest in the job. And to me, it was just like undeniable that he was the only choice for that matter, because the only other person at the time who I would have wanted would have been Gerard Gallant. And of course, as we had said, he's probably going to end up going to Seattle. So at that time, I would not have even given it any kind of thought. I thought Granado was obviously coming into a mess. They were in the middle of the losing streak. And I thought that it was, he just, he didn't stand a chance. And then things started to turn around and the team started to play drastically different. And the reason for that was because he is the antithesis of what Ralph Kruger was. He does everything that is the opposite of what Ralph Kruger did that was holding this team back. He lets them play freely and the game that he wants to play is focused on offense. He said that in quotes, it's not even a matter of just like the team is playing better. It's like, Oh, this guy actually has off like offense is a, as a strong suit of his, he makes a point of saying that and a point of that, of being a pretty much like the centerpiece of his coaching philosophy. And, you know, one of the quotes of his that I really love is when he had said, and this is kind of like a subtle, a subtle dig at Kruger, but he had said, we know if we just play a system and you focus on trying to play that system, you're really not improving your skill or your ability at the NHL level. And that's so true. I mean, that's everything that we've been talking about, Taylor, in terms of allowing your players to play to their strengths and not forcing them to play a system that maybe isn't conducive to things that they're actually good at. I mean, that's not how players improve. It holds them back. It's why Rasmus Dahlin looked worse this season. It's why pretty much everybody on the team looked worse this season. I know that there's a variety of other reasons between injuries and what have you, but that was really what the problem was is that they were trying to play this system that I don't know if it was too complicated or complex or just pure nonsense, but it just wasn't working. And the proof is in the results since Granado has taken over. So for me, it's, it's the offensive side of things. It's 
just the way that he goes about talking about his players too, I think is, is unique. I think the way that he communicated to both Jeff Skinner and Rasmus Dahlin, the changes that he wanted to incorporate in their game specifically so that they knew that they were a key piece of the puzzle. You know, that's huge. Ralph Kruger's big thing was everybody's a part of the team. You know, that's why Jeff Skinner was in his doghouse because he had to make a point of saying that, you know, nobody's above anybody else. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily say that as a coach, but what it comes down to is making your players feel valued and making them feel like they have a role on the team and understanding them. And I don't think Ralph Kruger, you know, maybe he is a good communicator, but I don't know if he necessarily understood his team. And that's something that deeply held them back. Granado seems to get that and knows how to connect with players. And I think that that's allowing those players, as we had said, Darlene Skinner has looked better. Um, I mean, Reinhardt at center again, has been like a revelation for them. You know, all of these choices that he's made that were pretty common sense things that a lot of us on online were saying for a really long time, you know, he's implementing that and you're seeing the results in it. And, you know, that all goes back to just having a forward thinking approach to the game. And so if Bruce Boudreaux doesn't happen, I'm not going to be heartbroken about it because Granado knows the way that the modern NHL is played and knows how teams can succeed. He's been like, as you had said before, when you were going through his pedigree, the one common denominator there was working with a lot of young players. And so he has that on his side too, because this team is extremely young. I mean, he just seems like, you know, it's amazing to, to think again, because at the time of Kruger's firing, who would have thought, but he's, he's changed my mind. I think he's changed a lot of people's mind in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. I, I would never have expected that they would have a, a 12 game stretch where they were over 500, especially if Heichel didn't come back and all Mark got hurt again, all that stuff. Like I, it, and all the, and all the stuff you're saying, it's not just luck. It's, it's, they're doing the right things. So I'm pleasantly surprised. Agreed. <laughs> Do we want to move on? Sure. You want to introduce our next, uh, what we're going to do for the second half of the show. Sure. Yeah. So not too much has changed in Saberland and we're kind of playing out the string here. So we thought we'd do a kind of a, a different segment that could spark some interesting discussion, maybe on even on social media after this comes out. But I want to talk about guys here at NHL right now who we think could make the Hall of Fame someday. Hall of Fame is always an interesting discussion every year. Um, it For whatever reason, they're combining, I guess, because of COVID, they're just not going to do another class. They're just going to enshrine last year's class this year. So we won't get as much of that discussion unfortunately there's always guys like well is this guy a compiler is this guy just playing an era where there's more scoring or oh this guy he was a great player he's just on bad teams that's why he doesn't ever win or this guy was overlooked by the media that's why he doesn't have any awards that's not fair or this guy was great his numbers you know weren't great but a lot of character or grit or whatever people say a lot of stuff like that's fun to argue about so i thought we could look through the, the nhl i handled the eastern conference and brandon handled the west uh remember when those still existed <laughs> we're bringing them back folks so i kind of looked at it not for my own personal opinion of who should be in a hall of fame that i would want it's more like this is the hall of fame this is what the hall of fame committee values and this is who i think will make it now additionally kind of tough because guys a lot of times halfway through their career maybe you don't know it could go either way so i kind of came up with five distinctions here which might be one too many but whatever Number one is 
too early to tell. So guys who are on a trajectory where it looks like they could make the Hall of Fame based on how they played so far, but far too early to say that. Two are long shots. That could be a lot of different guys, but it's kind of self-explanatory. Three is guys who I think are on track, but probably need to keep going. Four are guys who I think are probably in, but I'm not certain because, again, it's kind of a weird Hall of Fame. And five are guys who are in, definitely locks. Uh, so, Brendan, do you want me to go first? Go through the East? Yeah, sure. All right. So, for starters here, this is going to be in a weird order of teams because I went, uh, I just looked through the standings of the East and then the North and then the Central and took out all the Eastern Conference teams. So, starting with uh, Washington. So, Washington actually has a lot of guys under consideration, if you can believe it. They have three guys who I would say are in, who are number, so I guess five would be the number for them Ovechkin, Chara, and Lundquist. Although Lundquist didn't play this year, but nice. he was part of the team he should have played this year. Those guys, no question. You could, you know, Ovechkin's like the greatest goal scorer of all time. Chara's maybe the best defenseman of his era and played forever. And Lundquist is hands down the best goalie of his era. So then I have another guy who I think is probably in for a few reasons. And that's Nick Backstrom. Uh, I know he has not been like, he obviously has ever been the face of his team. He's not someone you think about a lot. And I think you, you might've looked like, I don't know if hall of fame thing, but here's the thing. He's going to have over a thousand points easily. He's going to have a ton of playoff uh, games played. He's going to have the whole, you know, Ovechkin buddy thing, just because they were perfect, uh, perfect line mates, honestly, with his passing ability and Ovechkin's ability to score. And frankly, he'll just, he'll have a decent enough resume that I think he's in, but he's not a lock by any means. And then I think they have a long shot. So that's two in John Carlson, just because the, the number of points he'll put up by the end of his career, it'll be like, wow, you know, like that. and he's gotten some Norris love recently. He hasn't won a Norris, but he'll have gotten votes for that. So I think that'll be interesting. So the next team, do you have any thoughts on any of those, by the way? No, I agree with all of them. The next team is the Pittsburgh Penguins, who interestingly have three locks and no other guys I'm really considering. Okay. Crosby, Malkin, and Latang. I all have them all as locks. Crosby, easy. Malkin, I assume, also easy. I don't think I even argue. I think Latang's a lock because he played on three cup teams. Yeah. So Someone with his resume, but without the cups, I think would be a four, but I'm giving him a five. I think he's in. Any thoughts? I can get down with that. I can get down with that. I think Latang will ultimately end up being a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, I it's obviously, you know, Crosby and Malkin will be first ballot Hall of Famers, no doubt. Maybe maybe Latang gets in like the second or third year or something like that. I don't know if he's necessarily a first ballot Hall of Famer kind of guy, but he might be, though. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, and then we have Boston. Boston, again, has a few guys. Five guys I wrote down, actually. Only one of them is a lock. If Patrice Bergeron is a lock because he's won 11 Selkies, a Stanley Cup, he'll have probably have 1,000 points, which would be great for this era. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the hockey world respects him. And I don't know, he's also, you know, Canadian Olympic stuff, the World Championship or whatever they called that a couple of years ago. Guys won a lot. So he's a no question. Yeah. As a probably... I have Tuka Rask. Now, okay. Probably. I think some people would think he's a lock. 
And I'm not even going to talk about the playoff stuff. People, he has a weird reputation, even though he's good numbers in the playoffs. He hasn't won a cup as a starter. That's no big deal, really, because he's won so much. I, he's won a Vesna, at least one Vesna. He might have won two Vesnas. He's he's been a really really great starter for a really long time too. He'll have great win numbers at the end of his career. Here's the thing: the Hall of Fame doesn't really elect a lot of goalies. I look, there's only been like a half dozen goalies elected in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Like, and one of them is Rogi Vacone. So <laughs> Rogi Vashon, whatever his name is, which, you know, that was kind of a weird one. No one expected. So that's, that'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. if Tuka gets in. Cause like I said, I have Lundquist as a lock. I don't know about Tuka though. Uh, and then also on the team, I have David Pasternak is a level one, which is uh too early to tell, but he's definitely on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And then I have two long shots for them. Okay. And the two long shots are Brad Marchand and Taylor Hall. Now, wow. yeah, these are interesting. So Brad Marchand, uh, Marchand, I should say, not Shand. He, although he's played since he was very young, started to pile up numbers more when he was almost 30. That's when he started to really start score goals. And I was like, one of the best goal scorers in the league is in his almost mid thirties. It's, it's a strange, a very strange trajectory. Mm-hmm. These guys almost never actually score goals in their thirties. Probably just needed more power play time and more like first line minutes when he was younger to be like this, but it was obviously a very deep and talented team that he was playing on. I don't like the guy. Most people outside of Boston do, don't like the guy, but if he actually still has a, f- a few more years like this, maybe he could considering just, the role he's played, the number of good teams he's been on, he's been in the spotlight a lot. So we'll see. Taylor Hall, and he might be Taylor Hall might be the biggest long shot I put in here because of everything I've said for like the last month. I really think he's done as a goal scorer, and that'll be tough. It'll be a tough sell for the Hall of Fame if he ends his career with like 300 goals and like say, if, I mean, at that point he's just not going to be in. The way he gets in is if he has a nice long career as a playmaker. For so like plays 10 more years and like at least six of them is a real solid, good playmaker. One still one of the best playmakers in the league and his scoring doesn't fall too far off a cliff. Cause if it does, I just think he's out. I think there's no way at that point because he's going to have his reputation working against him. Now he has an MVP and that's big. That's something they'll care about, mm-hmm. but that was the only time so far he's made the playoffs. So he'll have a second playoff run this year and then we'll see where he signs this summer to see, you know, what kind of playoff resume he has, because I think at that point he might start getting a bad reputation. You know, and we'll see how the, this uh, the spring goes for him too. But there is a, I thought there was at least enough of a long shot chance that I should put him up there. Hmm. All right, uh, next the so I didn't have anyone. You're going to be shocked for the Islanders. So really? No Islanders. Sorry, wow. fellas. So I got the Rangers. Uh, I have a long shot. Artemi Panarin. You put him as a long shot. Yeah, and here's why. He will not have good counting stats because he's already 29. Obviously, most guys fall off a cliff after 30. He won't fall off a cliff, but there's a big slowdown. He he didn't start playing in the NHL till he was 24. That'll be a problem. He's probably playing the best hockey of his life right now, though, I will say. That's true. But It'll be how, interesting how to see when the dip happens. Yeah, because like, what if he dips and then he has like – 780 points in his career and it's like well that's pretty good for a guy that started at 24 realistically he with his talent he probably should have been a first round pick 
Mm-hmm. But can you imagine that a, a not very big Russian guy didn't fall in the draft? Very strange. What a thought. And a guy I, as far as two early guys, this is the earliest early guy I think I put on here, Adam Fox. Oh yeah. It's probably too early to even put him there, but like he might be a Norris contender this year in his second year of playing in the NHL. That's crazy impressive. He's a guy that's really jumped off the page the way that a lot of the young guys in the Rangers haven't uh, when we've played them 11 times this year. Yep. I agree. And also I was pretty generous with my young guys. So Adam Fox would have been like a no brainer for, for anybody's list for sure. Okay. All right. So moving on to Philadelphia, uh, don't have any locks or anything. I have a level three for Claude Giroux. Uh, Claude Giroux is, he's in his thirties now, and he has a very impressive group, way more impressive group point total than I thought. And by the way, while we're discussing point totals here for, I assume a lot of our listeners are into analytics and into caring more about those things. I'm glad you all are. So am I, you know, who isn't this committee, (laughs) this committee cares a lot about point totals. They care a lot about reputation. They care a lot about the things you won, both as a team and an individual. Like there's literally in in one of the hockey abstract books that Rob Volman wrote, he let uh, someone write a chapter. I forgot who it was that he award, like gave a chapter to, to write about how you make the hall of fame. And it's literally, it's all these things. You can almost predict who's going to make it just based on uh, a formula. This guy's made based on like, points goals assists like things like that so while it's hard to predict defense more so than anyone else forwards are very obvious and Claude Giroux to me if he doesn't completely fall off a cliff it's probably in like if he has another if he has another three years playing he is now and then a few more years where he's fine he's probably a hall of famer probably not a first ballot guy because again he probably at the end of this will not won anything Mm -hmm. so on that same wavelength really I have a level two guy in Jacob Voracek who also has more points than you probably thought in his career mm-hmm. here. The thing with him though, like I said, people care about reputation. Claude Drews, I think has a decent one. Voracek has a weirdly not great one in the Philly media. I'm not sure if that'll matter to people in Canada, uh, but I know there's a few guys there that really don't like him. It's probably some dumb stuff, but yeah, that's, that's probably fine. Uh, so next is New Jersey. And surprisingly to me, I had someone on New Jersey. I again gave a long shot to PK Subban. Wow. Okay. Subban, so Norris Trophy winner, puts up a lot of points for a defenseman. Obviously, very popular. He, when we talk about falling off a cliff, that guy fell off a cliff in his twenties. He's still only like thirty-one right now. So theoretically, he has some time to turn it around. But like more realistically, he's probably just going to play a few years as a not very good defenseman, put up some more points you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe getting some more commercials somewhere, but like he just suddenly wasn't the same guy anymore. It's a tough sport. It happens to some guys. Right. Very true. But yes, I would have thought a few years ago, he'd be, you know, a lock at some point, but definitely, definitely not at the moment. And then for Buffalo, I even got one guy. Wow. Too, too early for Jack Eichel. There you go. So good for him. Come back stronger next year, pal. So moving on. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the East division? Cause the East division has more than half of the Eastern Eastern conference teams. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I was, I was pretty with you with all of them. I think maybe there could have been a young guy or two who I probably would have added. That's why I think you'll see when I do my Western conference list, I was maybe a little bit more generous with who I kind of threw on there as like a potential person, if they like go off the rest of their career, but I agree. No, good list. Good list. 
Thank you. All right, so moving on to the north, we have these uh, these uh, bastards up in Toronto. So they have two guys who I think are too early to tell. Uh, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, you're probably not surprised by either of those. Marner's exactly a point-of-game player right now, and he won't be for his whole career, I assume, but like he'll put up good numbers in a big market, and that'll be good for him. And Matthews, as I almost thought of putting as a three, just because like it seems like he's almost destined to score 500 goals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Scoring yeah. 500 goals in Toronto, I mean, you're in, regardless of whether they ever get out of the first round. million percent. In a real, real year, not like this year. So I have a, a long shot, and this is I, I, I almost you know I thought about not putting him on there, but Jason Spezza, um, Spezza's career is pretty much over. But if you won a cup, I think that might look good. He's the guy that seems like a Hall of Very Good guy. They didn't I didn't really have anything to tie him to. Like he, he didn't win an MVP, or I don't think he ever really came all that close. He was on some good teams in Ottawa, but that stopped when he was pretty young. He was on a decent team in Dallas, but people even remember that about him. Yep. If something happened in Toronto, he might. Uh, if, if Toronto wins the cup, he would get in. The whole team would get in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but like <laughs> at this point, I think he, I, I, he's a real, real long shot. Um, I have a level three has to keep going guy as John Tavares, who's had a great career so far. But I think if he retired today, he probably wouldn't be a Hall of Famer. And he's owed so much more money by the Leafs that he will not retire today. He will keep going and we'll see. I mean, he hasn't had a great year, like for the money he's being paid, but again, that, that kind of depends how the Leafs do in the standings. If he falls off and there stays, still do well. He's probably in. Like you said, a lot of this comes down to if they win a cup or not for a lot of players, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, Morgan Raleigh's getting in the hall of fame in that case. Yeah. Um, Sadly. Yeah. And then the last guy I have here is Joe Thornton level five, obviously he's probably like he's the most obvious. Yeah. I mean, he's among them for sure. Yeah. Sure. All right. And then also in the North division, we have the Montreal Canadians and there's actually four guys on there. I think I would consider none of them are a lock or actually there's a lock. I think Carrie price is a lock. I know we said about goalies earlier and I think Carrie price is, in terms of reputation, at least it's pretty overrated, but he's a goalie with an MVP, obviously a goalie with a Vesna. played for Montreal. Now I know you could say that about Jose Teodor, <laughs> but Price has had a reputation for like a decade plus now of being such a great goalie that I don't think he's really earned for about half of those years, mm-hmm. but still he's had it. So I think he also, am I mistaken or did he win a gold medal for Canada? Terry Price? Yeah. Yeah. In, in 2014, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's it. He's in. I mean, he won a gold medal for starting goalie for Canada. So, Price, even though I don't think he should be a lock, I think he's pretty much a lock. Then I have two level four guys for them Shea Weber and Eric Stahl. So, <laughs> the reason I hesitate on both, uh, Weber, I think, would be in. He's never won a Norris. He never won a cup. He's never been close to a cup. He doesn't have a lot of individual hardware, but he has good like point totals for a defenseman, good, great goal totals for a defenseman. And he, again, he's another guy that had a great reputation and people really liked him. The media liked him. His teammates liked him. I think he's their captain. 
that's huge. So that that I that's why I think he's in. You know, I I laid out why it's not a lock. Eric Stahl, he's interesting too. He's won a cup. He has over a thousand points in this era. He might be done based on what we're seeing right now, but he also might not be. He's only thirty six. I think we'll he's see. In. I think he's I think he's a lock. Yeah, he's a thousand points. If you have a thousand points, you're a lock. Right. I mean. That's, I kind of feel like that. Yeah. So the only things that would hold me back are after he won that cup, he made the playoffs once for like a decade. Like he was really, really out of the spotlight. He got, he made it again in like New York, like 10 years later. And he was kind of a bust in that trade. Obviously like had some time in Minnesota. that was good. But after that, but not, he is a, a lot of his career. He was playing like anonymous hockey, like, and he was not up for awards or anything like that, but he was always putting up decent point totals and he was an all-star so I think he's close to a lock, but I don't think he's a hundred percent lock. And at the very least, I'll say he probably isn't the first ballot guy, but we'll see. The thing is that that's the least not impressed. It's well, it's one of the least impressive cups ever, but it's also one of the least memorable cups ever or one of the least. Hmm. I don't want well, to say they dignified. Didn't, well, you could just say they didn't deserve to win it. Not even just that they didn't deserve to win it. No one cares about that. But, like, it, it had terrible ratings, was on the Outdoor Life Network. It's the first cup after everyone came back. And that year isn't really – that year is a very, like, one-off year. It's not really symbolic of what that era was like because as soon as that – like, right after that, in the 06, 07 even, like, even though it was, like, the Stabers and the Ducks and Ottawa and teams that maybe haven't been as good, like, that's when the Bruins – got char that's like when the penguins got decent that's when the capital started to get like that after that and then from then on it was so that, that 0506 season is like a lost season so i don't know how much people even care or even talk about that cup frankly and frankly they shouldn't this is fraudulent agreed <laughs> um so let's see where where are we going on now um oh moving on to another division here oh so i should say no one in ottawa i don't know if that's any kind of surprise but no brady kachuk I don't think he's, I don't, for my level one, I had guys who I feel like are on a hall of fame trajectory and they just have to keep going. Like it's way too early to even like say, just keep going. Like you have a whole career ahead of you. Yeah. I don't think he's on like a hall of fame trajectory, even though he's been very good. That's fair. Um, Very few guys are when they're young though, in my opinion. So moving on to the central division, Florida. I have two guys on Florida. I'm actually kind of considering. One is a level one still, and I considered making him a level three, but he, to me, he's a level one for now. Is Barkov? Barkov's not really that young anymore. Like wow. he's soon to turn twenty six, but I don't think Barkov is. So he's a guy that has a great reputation on defense now. Took a long time to get there, but he's someone that he'll be a Selkie winner, honestly, at some point. And he has puts up a, a decent amount of points he'll be the best player in Florida franchise history, which is not saying anything, but he, so he's a level one. So that's just like, keep doing this. Wow. I don't okay. think it's even enough to earn a level three yet. Uh, and then I have Yandel as a level two. That's a long shot. He's getting up there in age, but like, he's going to be an interesting one. Cause he's going to have had a lot of points and maybe he gets the kind of thing like, I don't know. I don't want to compare him to Zuboff because Zuboff put up a ton of points and got no awards love in his career, but he also was on great teams in New York and Dallas. So it's not the exact same thing, but 
Yandel's a real long, long shot. I actually would put him as a much longer shot than Taylor Hall, despite what I said earlier. He's up there in age. I don't know. He'd have to win a cup or something and get a lot of uh, late career love, but we'll see. So Tampa Bay, this Tampa Bay squad. Oh, you know what? Hold on. Before we move on to Tampa Bay, I forgot. There's a third Florida guy I have as a long shot. Sergey Bavrovsky. Oh, okay. Yeah. He uh, got hardware. He has two Vesnas. Yep. That's big. I mean, you would think he'd be more of a long land a long shot with two Vesnas. Doesn't have the win totals that would really impress you. And I think he's kind of bad now. And he might be remembered as like a big disappointment for Florida, considering how long his contract is and how much money he's owed. He is not terrible this year the way he was last year. So maybe they make some noise in the playoffs and he has a different reputation. Maybe he falls out of this two year slide and is at least a decent goalie going forward. Helps up those win totals, play some good Florida teams under Quenville. That'd help a lot. But for now, I think he's kind of a long shot. So then the last team I'm looking at is Tampa Bay. Because they're the worst team in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. That's right. As everyone knows. They have quite a few guys here. But I think they only have one absolute lock as it is now. And it might not be who you think it is. It's Victor Hedman. Wow. Okay, cool. Hedman won the Norris, and now I think in this, I don't want to say it's an era, but maybe a mini era, I think is considered the best defenseman. Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised that he's like a lock. I'm just surprised that it's also not Stamkos, too. But I I completely yeah. agree. Hedman is going to – oh, yeah. I So he's like – that. that's easy to me. And I think at least probably won another Norris. Now that he's won a cup. He could have won the, uh, the Conn Smythe last year. Would have been fine. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Well, wait, did he? No, Kucherov won, didn't he? Or wait, or did Point win? Hmm, they have a lot of a lot of guys on this team. A lot of good guys. I don't guys. remember. I don't remember. He might have won the North at the Consmate. I mean, hell, they could win the Cup again. So he's a lot to look forward to still. So the guy you mentioned, uh, Stamkos. Stamkos is like a 4.9 to me. I don't know if he would be a Hall of Famer if he retired tomorrow. And I think he kind of has a a weird-ish reputation, but it's not exactly fair. Um, he So he... Oh, Hedman did win the Conn Smythe. Yeah, I was... Okay, yeah. yeah. That Stanley Cup was fake. I don't remember any of that. <laughs> Apparently, Dallas was in it. Some guy named Anton Kudobin. Kudobin. All right, he won the Conn Smythe. That's good. I was thinking of the World Series trophy where Corey Seager won it instead of like three other deserving guys. Mm -hmm. But anyway, moving back on to Stamkos, he, I think for a while, you could consider as good or better of an even strength score than Ovechkin, which is crazy. But there was a short stretch where that was true. He had a 60 goal season. And injuries kind of got in the way, but not to the extent people think. He's not really like a nagging injury guy. He's like a major injury guy. He broke his legs, I think, was that at the Olympics or no? Am I thinking of Tavares? Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking of someone else. He broke his leg one season. Like the first year they got good with this current team, 2013, 14. So that was really bad luck. He got hurt again. He, well, he had the uh, blood clot in the 2015, 16 season, which cost him that almost entire playoff run. And then he, he got hurt again in the early, I think that was 17, 18 season cost most of that season. So like he's had these big injuries and then he had another big injury that was kind of weird and mysterious last year where he was apparently hurt throughout quarantine and then missed 
all but like one playoff game and he played like one shift and scored and then like had to leave again. Very strange. All things considered, but like he doesn't have a lot of like he plays most games most years and Tampa's been pretty good for a while now and he's going to put up probably a thousand points and he'll probably put up 500 goals. But all I'm saying is if he right now stopped playing, I don't think he'd be in. And that's part of it. I mean, I think, I think it would at least be very, very close. Considering yeah. I think what really hurts him is he didn't play when they won the cup. I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But yeah, he'll, I mean, if they win another cup with or without him, he'll probably be in. And he, frankly, when I say he's like a 4.9, I mean, if he plays all the rest of this year, the playoffs and all, all, most of next year in the playoffs, whatever, he's in. Mm-hmm. No, I feel that. I feel you. His, his prime was too good. Um, and then just a few more guys on Tampa. Uh, I have two guys at level three, guys that I think are playing like Hall of Famers and have a lot of it down already. A lot of, a lot of the uh, check checkpoints are hit. They just have to keep going. And that's Andre Vasilevsky and Nikita Kucherov. Uh, that kind of goes without saying. I don't know what's going on really with Kucherov this year. He's not playing. Like, hopefully he's back next year. Like, we'll see. The season doesn't count anyway. But Hurts missing a whole season. We'll see, you know, we'll see. Definitely. He'll probably be back. Yeah. I mean, 128 points two years ago. That's pretty good. Yeah. He might be back for the playoffs. Yeah. And Vasilevsky will probably win the uh, Vesna this year. So maybe he's got to be as far as young guys go as close to a lock as you can get Yeah, in terms of like keeping up your current trajectory. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. He, I mean, he just has to have a few more good years at some point. Like I said, they don't put many goalies in, which is a tough thing, but at some point they're going to have, they're going to have to change how they look at goalies. I think the way the NF or the, yeah, the NFL hall of fame will probably have to change how they look at running backs. Uh, I, like if they want to ever let a goalie in again, like you're going to have, you're going to have Lundquist and obviously you might, well, I don't want to get to spoil your part, but you might have Braden Holpe in at some point just for, you know, a few reasons, a few other guys. Are you going to have like these other guys that were maybe only good till they're 30? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Vasilevsky will be good for 20 more years. Who's that would be say? something. I hope not. <laughs> uh, and then one more guy, a guy that I think is uh, too early to tell, but keep going on this pace. Braden point. Probably not a surprise. Not at all. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I think it's worth remembering when we do this, that there are like, I think 289 players in the hall of fame when I looked it up earlier. So that's not including coaches or builders, but it is including women and it's including men from, you know, international guys who never played in the NHL, like old Soviet guys and stuff. It's worth remembering that there's not that considering hockey is more than a hundred years old, you know, people have been playing NHL hockey for the Stanley cup and all that for over a hundred years now. That's not really that many guys. So a lot of these guys I mentioned will not get in. Very true. Very, not the very least of which are probably Keith Yandel, Jason Spezza and Taylor Hall. But <laughs> yeah, those, those ones I would feel safe about uh, saying it probably won't happen, but worth keeping them on. I definitely have some questionable ones too. So should I, should I hop in? Yes. Did you start with the, uh, the North division or how'd you, how'd you laser yours out? Well, so I have a question for you. I could do it either way, but should I do it the same way that you did where I go team by team or should I go with like each of my tiers, like all my fives, my fours, my threes, my twos, and my ones. Well, however you have it laid out seems like the best way to do it. I have it laid out by each tier, but I can do it by team if need be. I'll just do it by tier then. Okay, cool. All right. So one or five first Taylor. Ooh, uh, let's build up. So, uh, well, hold on. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Let's think about this. 
Let's do fives. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, let's work back from five. So I kept pretty in line with your line of thinking. The only thing I will say is that for some guys who I think are probably pretty odd, I would say very obvious, actually, if they are younger on the younger side, but they're scoring at a ridiculous pace, I valued that a lot more, I think, than you did. And I have some younger guys in my five who obviously are going to have to play the rest of their careers out, but they're just playing at such a high level that it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that they will be in the Hall of Fame. So to start off, uh, no random or no particular order. So just going through randomly, my fives, uh, Anze Kopitar, for one, I think that he goes without saying, uh, you know, you have the pedigree there, Stanley Cup, over a thousand points, one of the most dominant two-way centers of his era. Um, I mean, he's like a superstar, but people always like kind of, it's funny. People call him still even like underrated or under the radar for playing in a market as big as LA, but it's uh, he's, he's phenomenal. I think that he's a no brainer. Uh, Number two, very, very obvious one. And somebody who's been in news very recently, Patrick Marlowe. So he, of course, had just broke Gordie Howe's record for most games played by an NHL player. I mean, you have right there like a, a major record, but also on top of like having the longevity, even though his, his play has dipped, he's got the points. He's, he's got what you need. He's never won a cup, unfortunately, but yeah. it's, a, it's a no-brainer that, that he's going to get in. Uh, I have a teammate of his as another lock, and it is Eric Carlson, actually. The reason being, he was the most dominant defenseman of his era. Like in his prime, when he was at his peak, he was the best defenseman in the league for a few years. Um, I'll say this too for him. He is the best offensive defenseman since Ray Bork. And yeah, yeah. Him and and Ray Bork are probably the, him and Paul Coffey are probably the three best offensive defensemen of the post Bobby Orr era. Completely agree. Completely agree. Moving down. So, this is where we get to one of those young guys that I think is a lock. And this is no surprise, obviously, but I think Connor McDavid is a five. I mean, he's already playing at a ridiculous pace. He already has the hardware. He's I'm sure going to win Olympic gold medals. I don't know if he's ever going to win a Stanley cup. If he keeps in, uh, keeps playing in Edmonton for the rest of his career, but you know what? He's not winning an Olympic gold medal. No, not this year or not next year, at least. No, he's never won in one. Okay, that's fair. Well, either way, he's going to end up having a lot of hardware when all is said and done. So, I mean, I think he's yes. a no-brainer. And I think, honestly, again, just due to the fact that it's just the points are going to get him there, I think Dreisaitl, too. I think that he's going to end up being. I mean, he's going to be able to ride shotgun with McDavid for the majority of his career, at least the majority of his prime. And they have a great setup there. I mean, it works well. I know a lot of people say too, that his, you know, excellence is a product of just having being with McDavid, but he's clearly a premier talent in the league. He scores at a ridiculous pace. And I think that he will end up being a hall of famer someday. No doubt. Any thoughts so far, Taylor? Uh, not re- really. I will say this about Marlowe though. I think, the reason I think he's a five and I don't disagree is 
what happened this week really yeah like him breaking the all-time games record it's not even just this week like now that he's been around so long and he's so close to that record like 500 goals and he's thought of very well i think a lot of his career he probably wouldn't have had him as a five no no i definitely don't think so because he was never like a premier player who's always really really good but when you're really really good for a long enough time and you can accumulate over a thousand points it's a no-brainer He's not unlike Dave Anderchuk. Anderchuk won a cup near the end of his career. Mm-hmm. But like Anderchuk had obviously that one year he had 50 goals, but a lot of his career, he was like a really good scorer. Like usually like the second or third best guy in his team, but like, like Marlowe really. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Well, moving down my list now, I'm going to go to a couple of Anaheim Ducks who I think are locks. And that is Ryan Getzlav for one. And number two, our old friend, Ryan Miller. I think, yeah, I think that Miller is going to be in the Hall of Fame due to the fact that he has a Vesna. As it looks right now, he's probably never going to have a cup, which sucks. But I think that having, being the uh, MVP, or right, is it considered MVP with, in the most outstanding outstanding player in the olympics i think that the heroics there even though they didn't win gold i mean that was an all-time performance and i also think that he was the face of a franchise for a very long time he was along with lundquist and in that era probably one of the three best goalies for a, a pretty sizable amount of time he's the winningest goalie uh you know american goalie i should say in nhl history and i think he just, he has the resume. I think being the winningest goalie and uh, American goalie in, in NHL history is pretty much alone enough to get him get him in. Wow. Did you say you have them both as fives? Yeah, I do. I see. I would have Getzloff as a low end four and I would have Miller as, I wouldn't even probably have written down Miller, honestly. Yeah. I really think Miller is going to get in. I really, really do. I don't know if it'll be the first time around, but I'm confident that he will get in. It did not be the first time around. Like I, like I, what I was saying earlier, when I said there's been like a half dozen guys in my life, that wasn't an exaggeration. That Mm -hmm. that's a stat. One of whom is Rogue Cohen. So maybe, you know, Yeah, but also the quality of goaltending has gone up so much though, too. I think that hurts more than it helps for these situations. But if you're able to stand out in an era though, that's what I mean. I don't really think even comes close because, because of that you don't think that and he's think gonna like, make the hall of fame you don't, I don't think, think he's gonna come close, close to the hall of fame no wow no maybe if he gets out on wins or the olympics or whatever i think it would be like like our our pal rogi getting in in 2017 like it'd be something that would take 30 years of people being like you know what i like that guy that's how guys like that usually get in I don't I think, think he has a Hall of Fame resume, like or even close, really. I think be I mean, honestly, I think that it's I think him being the winningest goal, like American goalie is gonna be enough. And I think having a Vesna too, like he has some hardware. It's not, you know, like that at least proves that at one point or another, he was the most dominant player at his position at a time. And he, I mean, Jim Carrey is a Vesna. Did he have the career that Ryan Miller had? No. Yeah. Then I'm there just you go. saying, like the Vesna is not really that's why I have a guy as a maybe who was like yeah, a two-time but that's Vesna the, winner. But, but like, there's a I think that there's a clear difference between a guy like that winning a Vesna and somebody like Ryan Miller. I think that that's enough to get you there as compared to that just being like an outlier, like in you won a Vesna that season. Do you okay? So yeah, but like Bavrovsky won two Vesnas. I don't you didn't disagree when I said he's a long shot. No, I know. I mean, and I also, I'm just not going to try and say, well, I'm also not going to try and just sit here and say that I'm being completely objective with Miller. 
like in right. that. But I do think that his career was very up and down for Brovsky. And I think that Miller at least had more of a steady stream of success as compared to what he had. All right, here's the other thing that I guess you're not being a homer about, but I think are being overly friendly about. Brian Geslev has 278 career goals. What's his point total, though? 981. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you hit 1,000 points, you're in. That's usually the case. I mean, it. And I he mean, has this, a cup. Yeah, he does have a cup in his second year, but like this era, maybe more so for that. Because um, I was, you know, Pierre Turgeon's not in. He has like 1,300 something points. He'll probably but, get in, though, at some point. Yeah. I mean, he's only been eligible for, I mean, he's been eligible for a decade now, hasn't he? Shit. Wow. Time flies by. But anyway. And uh, Getzlev also has Olympic hardware, too. He has a gold medal. He might have two, ooh, actually. That'll help. Yeah. He probably does have two. That convinced me more. I would have him as a four, though, more than a five. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I said, I think I just maybe I don't know if I'm overvaluing just having like hitting a thousand points, but I think that that pretty much like if you have that and then you have any any hardware, you're pretty much in for the most part. Like did Terjan ever win a cup? I'm going to say no off the top of my head, but let me let me look it up. I'm going to say. No, I mean, he played a lot for the Sabres and Islanders. That's not good. Well, there you go. All right. Well, I'll keep going through my list then while you look that up. Uh, I have three Chicago Blackhawks as five, and I think it's pretty obvious. The three that I have, Pat Kane, Jonathan Tazen, Duncan Keith, I think are all going to be no-brainers. They have the points. They have the multiple Stanley Cups. Um, I mean, Kane might go down as the best American hockey player ever. Taze is a, you know, generational, looked at as like a generational captain. And Duncan Keith was one of the best defensemen of his era for a very, very long time and had a lot of longevity in his career. And again, like winning three cups, I think is, is just a, makes them all pretty much like a no brainer. When you think about what the committee values, any disagreements there? No, I'm going to throw out my take that I don't think I've thrown in the pod that I've done on Twitter multiple times for the most part for like, their actual successful era it went one taze two key three hosts a four cane isn't that incredible because i don't disagree with a cane being like maybe the best american ever it's a crazy little run they had mm-hmm. yeah and i guess everyone you know host is gone yeah i mean i don't think there's anyone else really gets consideration on that team now yeah, not really. I was thinking about DeBrincat if he can like keep scoring goals at like an elite pace. Like if I mean I don't know if he'll be able to hit 500 goals, but he's he's gonna put up multiple 40 goal seasons in his career. So that's why I'm kind of wondering if he might be able to eventually get in the conversation because I think 500 goals is kind of looked at the same way that like 500 home runs is in baseball, where if you get that, that's pretty much as close as you can get to a guaranteed ticket. Yeah, well, used to be in baseball. Used to be, I should say. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Moving down, only a a couple of fives left. Um, Another who I think is just a young guy, but is on the trajectory and just, you know, barring something catastrophic happen, is going to just get in no matter what, is Nathan McKinnon. Um, I put him, you know, similar to the way that I described Dreisaitl and, and McDavid there. Um. Another five, actually, that I don't know if I would put in, but I, I shouldn't say he's a five, actually. No, I, w- I would move him down to maybe a three or four, so I'm not going to get to him quite yet. 
Um, the last one that I have though, that I think is pretty much a lock is Petra Angelo. I mean, he has points, he's been a captain, he has a cup and he has gold medals. So I think he's, he's got the easy recipe there. And if he ends up winning a cup with Vegas, I mean, that's even going to just further cement him. Yeah. I'm looking at him now. He's a guy, he's a top five Norris three times, never been top three, but like, I, I can pretty much see that. Yeah. I don't think he'll be in the first time, but I think he's in. Yeah, definitely. All right. So moving on to my list of fours now. So to start off there, I have a teammate of Alex Petrangelo's, and that's Mark Stone. I think that he... Oh, four, four, yeah. For my fours, yeah. Um, I think that Mark Stone is, for as wingers go, like maybe one of the most elite two-way wingers that we've seen, at least in our lifetime. Um, I know there's a lot of other good guys that come to mind, but most of them are centers when you think of two-way players like that. And I think that also, even though he's up there in age, I think if he can continue to play at the pace that he's at for the next handful of years and can, can rack up points, and also on top of that, win a cup with Vegas because they seem to be very close to I think that he has a very, very good shot of it. Uh, a number four that this one, I don't know if this will be controversial or not, but Jonathan Quick. So I have him on there uh, pretty much mainly for cups. I think winning multiple cups as a goalie really helps your case a lot. And he was really good in the playoffs too. Um, he's got a pretty good reputation. So I feel pretty comfortable putting him at a four that he's, I wouldn't call him a lock, but I would feel good about guessing that he would get in someday. Uh, quick. Yeah. I honestly, I feel, I, I, as far as goalies go, like I feel really good about quick because, you know, unfortunately when we talk about this, we, we talk about team success for a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of guys, even if it's, let's say two cups and a bunch of not very good years. Mm-hmm. So I think quick is probably in based on the two cups and his con Smythe and, how much the narrative around the 2012 cup fairly was surrounded around how well he played. And because he, I believe one of Vesna as well. Um, also with Mark stone, I'll just say, I mostly agree. I think he has to win. I think I would have had him as a three just because, so he's finished second in Selkie voting three times, which is insane. He's finished fifth once, sixth once, once. Like I think, if he were to win one, that'd be huge for his case. And then yeah. obviously to keep having a good thirties, I think is important for him. Cause I mean, I don't think he's probably in right now just cause I mean, he has 437 career points. He's about to turn 29. Like if he's going to be a guy that gets in on his defense and being good enough on offense, he'll probably mm-hmm. have to be in the eight hundreds at least. And then pro- at least win a Selkie, you know, he might even win one this year though. He could. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's this year and if they win a cup, I suppose we'll see. I mean, yeah. I think he's, he's, I don't know if he's underrated because he's finished second in all those Selkies, but like, I don't know if hockey fans talk about it as much as like, he's like unbelievable. Like yeah. he's unbelievable the way Bergeron was. Yep. He does not get that credit. I mean, I guess Kopitar didn't either. He already went over him. Right. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, Selkie guys, and uh, Con Smythe winners. Another four that I have, Taylor, that 
is again dependent on a guy being able to contribute into his 30s. I think potentially Ryan O'Reilly. I think that he is maybe more of a three, but I put him on like the low end of a four. You seem upset right now that I said this. Um, you are upset that I said this. I'm sorry, but I think that if he continues to play into his thirties, similar to just having that two-way player, I think if he can, if he wins multiple Selkies in his career, he's got a cup, he's got a con Smythe. Uh, he's going to probably be on, he'll have another crack at being on an Olympic team. Um, I know the point totals aren't all the way there. And I know that he has questions about his, you know, I guess like ability, but I think if, I think he has a legitimate shot at when he's by the time he retires of winning multiple Selkies. And I think if you can do that and same thing, put up at least somewhat of a respectable point number, you have a pretty good shot of getting in because he also is going to have a cup and a con Smythe. Yeah. He has a lot of the, a lot of the hardware. Yeah. Another guy who I don't think would be a first ballot guy, but it's someone who when the time comes, uh, he might look appealing to voters. That's kind of what my thought is. Yeah. 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 Uh, another guy who he's, I mean, he, he might be too early, but again, like I said, I think I kind of overvalued some younger guys if they're really good. Um, but I have Mark Shifley, I think as a, I think he has a really, really solid case. Um, you know, he's, he's young and he's got a lot of, of many seasons ahead of him, but I mean, he's a point of game player. He is 28 years old right now. So he's getting up there. He's right on the doorstep of 500 points. He has 496 career points in 564 games. So, you know, he's not too much of a bruiser. I mean, he's 28. So if he could play into his thirties, same thing and, and produce, and if he can get up to, you know, around 900 points or so by the end of his career, if he doesn't get hurt and is able to keep playing, I think that he's somebody that, very well could end up, uh, you know, people could look kindly upon him and, and would want to put him there. But again, him being 28 makes it kind of dicey. So he's like a three, four hybrid, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's a tough one. It is very, it is. No, I know. I wouldn't, he's not, he's played since he's more on and off since he was 18. Mm-hmm. He's played full time since he was 20. So that's big. That'll get a lot of games played. You know, right now he's only 28, so that's good. He just turned 28, and he, like you said, he has almost 500 points. Here's the hard part, though. Winnipeg has never done anything since he's been there. They went to one conference final. That was the only real playoff run, and he has never come close to an award or even an all-star game. I don't disagree, but I will tell you, though, that since 2016-17, he has been playing at or above a point-per-game pace, and – for somebody who's been doing that for that many seasons, I think that he's not going to have a super hard fall off uh, for when the time comes that his, his play really does start to dip. So he's got time still, you know, I mean, he's going to be the guy in Winnipeg. Blake Wheeler is not going to be around forever. So who knows, maybe he ends up being a captain someday too. Um, It's, it's iffy. I think he's, like I said, he's more like a three, four high, probably more of a three, if I'm being honest, where he he could get there um 
because yeah, I don't necessarily think he's he's kind of in the same league as some of the other guys on on my four list. So we'll we'll move him down actually to to more of a three. But another person who I have actually for a goalie that is pretty much dependent on if they win a cup this year is Mark Andre Fleury. I think if he wins, if Vegas wins the cup this year and he's playing in the playoffs, he's a lock. I think he's extremely likable. I think he's going to be remembered too for pretty much being the premier player for an expansion team that had the best success of an expansion team in NHL history. Um, he has a cup already. Uh, I mean, what more can you ask for out of a goalie? You know, he kind of fits the bill perfectly. And I, again, I think, like you said, it's a lot of what's taken into account here is likability and how well-known a guy is. And Flurry is the kind of guy that, you know, he was the face of an NHL franchise. He was the face of the expansion and people like him. Like a lot of people like him, man, that is wildly disrespectful that you put, not even disrespectful. It's interesting that you put Miller as a five and Flurry is like a four with all these caveats. I think Flurry's, if anyone's going to get in, it's gonna, like besides Lundquist, it's going to be Flurry. Like it's like I know, I know the things people like us will say is like, you know, Pittsburgh, he realistically cost them at least one cup and then didn't really do anything for the the last two cups where he won. You know, they won while he was on the team. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's had a weird career in that way, but like people are going to see that like he's played in five cups. If he plays one this year, he'd, he'll have played in six, which is nice. He has a chance, obviously. He has these, like, weirdly might be having his best year this year in his late 30s. All the expansion stuff, like you just said. And he's really, really high on the all-time wins list. Mm-hmm. Like, he could get to three, which would be fascinating, depending on how this goes. Like, it's weird, obviously. He won and lost the cup and was good in pretty much both those playoff years at an age before most goalies make the NHL. He was the first overall pick. And then he in 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14 and 15 kind of like was a huge reason Pittsburgh in that six season stretch felt like it was underachieving. Like they made one conference final that time. They well, they got swept he felt like a huge reason. Like in 2013, he got benched in the playoffs and got replaced by Vokun. And then when they, in 2015, 16 and 16, 17, they win two cups. Not with him. I know he, in 2016, 17, he played, but like, you're making they benched my him case again. for me right now. Why Miller would, no, be I'm fire. sorry. <laughs> the committee would not see it that way. To be fair. Also though, like I said, I fully admit that I am being shamelessly biased in having Miller be a five. Like I, I I'm, I'm not oblivious to the fact that my own personal attachment, it makes me think that he's going to be a lock. But like I said, the only reason why I think Flurry is a four, which means probably going to get in, but I'm like not going to say hundred percent. If he wins another cup or makes it to a cup, then I think, yeah, for sure. But like you said though, Taylor, he was in and out. Like he did not have the net locked down for a pretty decent stretch of his career. Kind of. Well, he was always a starter though. He was, but again, you had just kind of said it there yourself that you could look at him as one of the main reasons as to why those Pittsburgh teams didn't have more success. He also has 486 wins. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's really hard for me to see him not making the Hall of Fame with with like that many wins. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I think he's going to get in. He's been involved with at least five cups right now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like... I don't, I don't actually know if I personally would think of him as a hall of famer, 
but like I think I think the committee would. That's someone I feel really strongly about them. Oh yeah, rally wing. Because he's likable, people just like him. That makes sense. Let me. I'm looking to see right now where he is and wins as we stand right now. Well, I only Let's have see. I have one he's more. Fourth, yeah. Oh, so what? Just one second. When I say oh, yeah. he's going to be third, that's going to be this year. He'll pass Luongo. He's three behind Luongo, and then he's God. You know, right now he's only 65 behind Patrick Waugh. That's not bad for second. So we'll see. Well, I have one more four and that is Brent Burns. Uh, The reason being he's played over a thousand games. He has 720 points as a defenseman. I know his career is a little different too, because he had some time where he was kind of back and forth and forward, but the majority of his career and his dominance was spent while he was on defense. He's one of the most prolific scorers of the 2010s among defensemen. And uh, I, I think that he's somebody that I feel very confident about. He's not, he's not a hundred percent, I wouldn't say, but I feel very, very good about Brent Burns getting in. I feel, I feel good as well. Okay. So on to the three, I have actually one guy that I do want to say is oddly enough, kind of like a hybrid between a four and a two where it's like, yeah, he might get in, but also he may not have enough. And that's Ryan Suter. Two. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, part of me, th- but here's the thing, though. I would, if I was voting, I would say, yes, he's a two, and I would probably not put him in. But he, when you want to talk about reputations, like, he has a really, really good reputation among the, in the league. Longevity, he's more, you know, maybe he wasn't known offensively, which is a huge problem with him, though, is that he really didn't ever put up the points. But yeah he is looked at as like a dominant two-way defenseman who's maybe even like underappreciated. And I could see a scenario where like he gets in after a few years just because I don't know. He just seems like one of those guys that would get overvalued by like the old guard kind of people. I could see some, like some people like looking like, Oh, wow. He was a minutes leader for multiple seasons. Mm -hmm. I'd see that. Yeah. Again, not much Norris love and he never really played for winning teams. Well, he played for, he played for teams that always lost in the second round of the playoffs, like Nashville and Minnesota. So that's tough for him. Right. All right. Well, uh, moving on. So for me, like the three was kind of weird because I felt like there were a lot of guys that could either go in three or go in one, I guess, in a way um for like evaluating that but for my threes i one that i had was was johnny hockey johnny goudreau i think if he can continue to play at a high level um and just be a consistent scorer and keep leading the flames in points that it's a possibility he could get there i don't know if he's ever going to win anything he's probably not going to make an olympic team but again like if he's just putting up points i think that you know it's it's a possibility he's still young enough that he could still have a, a decent Decent amount of scoring ahead of him, um, but I, I I don't really know. Uh, I'm honestly more interested in talking about the the twos and the ones, to be honest, just because I felt like the threes, I kind of, as I had said, blended them a little bit where guys where it's like, yeah, you're probably going to get in, so I'm going to rate you higher. Um, but my twos. So one that I'm I'm not really sure about, but again, he's a he's an older guy who I think that might end up being over, like 
overvalued. I don't know if he necessarily deserves to get in though, is Joe Pavelski because it's kind of a similar thing where it's like, how much hardware does he have? He doesn't have a cup. I mean, he, he went to one with Dallas last season, we know, but other than that. Yeah. He went to one with San Jose too, but in San Jose. Yeah. Right. But other than that, he, you know, he, he's great goal scorer, great leader, which is why I think he could potentially get in, but I don't really know if he's going to get there. Um, similar guy in that vein, I would say is Blake Wheeler. Um, not really a whole lot to say on him. He really, you know, he kind of came on like as strong as he did with being like the dominant player that he is a little bit later in his career. And so I don't know if he really has enough in him to, to get there, but I mean, maybe just because he's, he's good and he's a captain. Um, somebody who I actually think could be knocking on the doorstep who, I don't know if this is surprising or not, but I do think it's, it's certainly a possibility. What do you think about Phil Kessel, Taylor? Yeah, his fall off was too hard, I think, probably. Yeah. Like, he won two cups. And Better two this year, though. That's true. Two great playoff performances. Probably should have a con Smythe. Actually, not even probably. He, like, definitely should have a con Smythe. He should have a con Smythe. And his numbers aren't going to end up being what they were. And also, come on, where's the Hockey Hall of Fame? <laughs> no He's way. He's not getting in. No, no way. That's and he wouldn't go back. Would he even go back for a ceremony? <laughs> Probably not. Maybe he would for Steve the fun Simmons of Simmons would be waiting out there with a loaded shotgun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, moving down my list of guys who probably won't get in, Zach Parise. Um, I, you know, yeah, don't think I agree. That, he probably won't get in. Don't think he has enough. But again, he's good enough. He's good to be in the conversation. Um, Max Pacioretty, kind of the same thing where he was good for a while. He still is good, obviously, and he'll probably end up being able to continue putting up pretty nice points because he's going to be playing opposite of Mark Stone, um, along with just him being, you know, a good goal scorer. But I think he's just Hall of Very Good kind of guy. Um, few younger guys here, uh, that I included should be Buffalo Sabre, Nikolaj Ellers. Uh, I think he's starting to have, I mean, this season he's having a pretty his real breakout season. He's playing at a point per game pace right now. Um, Really blossoming into a good player. But again, I just don't think that he's going to be the kind of, I I just don't know if he'll have a hall of fame career, I guess. He'll probably, he'll put up points and, and he'll be good, but hall of very good. Same kind of thing too um, with Vladimir Tarasenko, who is, very dominant. He's a great NHL player, but again, I just don't know if he necessarily is hall of fame, uh, hall of fame worthy. If that's going to, you know, if he'll be at that point by the end of his career, um, Gabe Landeskog is another one too, where he's really good, but I don't think that he's hall of fame. Good. I mean, who knows though, you know, he's a captain. If Sweden ever wins a medal someday, I mean, if Colorado wins a cup, that could really help his case. Colorado could be in line to win multiple cups. So who knows, but I just don't know if from a, a personal producing perspective, if I, if I'd put Landeskog there quite yet. Um, one that I have as a two that you'll probably love this. I don't think he should get in, but he might because of uh, reputation is Drew Doughty. So I know you have some pretty strong takes about Drew Doughty that you, you know, I, I do too. I think that he's massively overrated um, in today's but NHL. But he was great. For sure. He was great for a while. Don't get me wrong, but he is vastly overvalued today. And I think that that could be a reason why he ends up getting in. 
Uh, he has he has cups. He had with uh, with Los Angeles. He was very dominant, but I don't know if he's dominant enough to be a Hall of Famer. But then again, though, I think just the way that these people look at the criteria, he could end up getting there. But I would. He's he's he probably going to get in. He's yeah. I mean, he's going to, he's going to be looked at with like quick and Kopitar is like the face of the LA. Yeah. I want to say dynasty regime. They're the good three year period. Like I said, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know, but I'm sure that he probably actually end up will. So maybe he should have been moved up, but whatever. Uh, Rounding out my twos then um, just like some guys whose names I put down. I mean, Roman Yossi, since he won a Norris, but he really didn't, you know, he's put up points pretty consistently, but you know, he won a Norris at 28. I think he's 29 right now, or either he won it at 28 or 29. So I don't think that Nashville is really going to do anything for him to be able to add any kind of significant hardware to other than like having a Norris. And I think with this wave of young defensemen who are coming up through the ranks right now, between like Cal McCarr, Gerard, Quinn Hughes, eventually Darlene Heiskin, you know, these guys that I don't know how many more cracks at a, at a Norris he's going to actually get. Um, otherwise then, that was, I mean, really about it. I thought I, I gave a little bit of thought to Tyler Sagan, but I don't think that he'll have enough to, to end up getting into the hall. And uh, yeah, that's, that's really about it. So then I just otherwise have my young guys here. Um, I just said him before, but Sam Gerard, I don't know if he'll end up having a hall of fame career, but I think that I wanted to mention him just because he's coming on very strong right now and he's still very young. I think he's only 23 or 24 at this point. So if he ends up kind of playing one B to Kel McCarr in Colorado and is able to just drive play for them from the back end and be a dominant offensive defenseman and just rack up points. And again, if Colorado goes on to win cups, I think he could be somebody that potentially could get there, but it's just too early to tell. Thatcher Demko for like a goalie, potentially. I mean, he's looked really good so far this year taking over, but it's just too early and goalies are voodoo as it is. So you really just don't know. Kirill Kaprizov from Minnesota. I mean, I know he's like a 24 year old rookie and I don't know if he'll have enough time to amass enough points to have that kind of a a career, but he seems to be a pretty special talent. So I wanted to include him. He might end up winning the Calder this year. Who knows? We'll see even how Minnesota is going to end up being too in the long term because I think that'll play a huge part in it. Moving down, a defenseman, Jacob Chakran, I think is really starting to come into his own this season. He's definitely taken the torch from Oliver Ackman Larson for leading the the blue line for the Coyotes. And I think that he's going to have a long productive career ahead of him. Another outside one that I was thinking of too as a possibility is Rupe Hintz from Dallas. I think he looks really, really good so far. He has a lot of just raw, pure skill to him and he's going to be their future number one center there. So I don't know if he'd necessarily get in, but he's young enough that I'm very intrigued by him to see if he might be able to, um, a pair of, uh, you know, younger defensemen who I had mentioned before. I think that Cal McCarr is well on his way, even though he is still so, so young. I think we've seen enough from him in such a short amount of time that barring this dude, like breaking both of his legs, he's going to be 
amazing and is probably going to have multiple Norris trophies ahead of him. Assuming he can figure out the two-way game a little bit better, I think Quinn Hughes also has a shot uh, just due to his ability. I mean, there's not many defensemen who can skate. I shouldn't even say defensemen. There's not many players who can skate like him. So I'd be curious to see how he's going to end up going because he could end up being a really heavy point producer and that could help his case to get there. A couple of forwards too, who are really solid, who are maybe fly a little bit more under the radar, but are like obviously stars, but uh, Kyle Connor and Miko Rantanen are two guys too, who point per game pace kind of players who are young enough, both on good teams right now. I think Colorado, again, a lot of that's going to be, you know, if they end up winning cups, I think that a lot of those guys are going to just get catapulted into getting in there and ranting and being a first line premier winger. It, it, it makes a lot of sense for him to get there. And then to, to round it off, I have two goalies that it really is based on just their pure talent, not necessarily, I guess, their uh, current setup or situation, but I have Connor Hellybuck and John Gibson because I think they're two of just the most purely talented goalies in the league, maybe behind Andre Veslevsky. Um, I think you could pretty safely put him one, but Hellybuck is probably number two, at least in the top three. And Gibson has just pretty much been plagued by being on Anaheim, but it, you know, everybody knows how good that he is. And so I think that if he ends up making a move somewhere in his career and he ends up getting to go to a good team, Oh boy, watch out because he is just such a talented goalie, but has just had the bad luck of, of being on Anaheim. And Connor Hallibuck has had the bad luck of having horrible defense in Winnipeg. So those yeah. are um, that rounds out my my list. Uh, any thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, that's very generous of you for a lot of those guys. Yeah, I'm I just sure Rupin's his mom. I'm hope she's listening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think Hellebuck, I think you'd say Hellebuck might be better than Vasilevsky. Cause like, man, Winnipeg sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going to make the playoffs two years in a row because of him. Mostly he's incredible. Like if you look at his underlings and all that Gibson, I don't know, this is two years in a row now of this, uh, not being very good. Not really. He isn't, he isn't, uh, overperforming. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe it's just Anaheim could be, I wouldn't be totally convinced of that though. Like nine Oh four last year, nine Oh three this year. Like, I don't think his gold saved above average is like, like, blowing things away where it's like oh wow he actually should have like an 880 if he was a regular goalie but i you know i think he's good i don't think he's gonna sniff the hall of fame uh and like i said he would need a move to get there yeah and what did you say was the last thing you're gonna say there uh and move and then hope that this isn't just him not being good anymore Mm -hmm. hellebuck would be interesting though he could win like four vesnas who knows true he's really good and one of the two of them could end up, I mean, they both could be, but one of them could be the starter on the gold medal winning U.S. Olympic team. One of them will be. That's what I mean. I and mean, whoever is probably it, the backup. Yeah, Halle yeah. Buck will probably start and Gibson will be the backup. Yeah. Yep. Any other, uh, any other thought? Like I said, also too, yeah, I wanted to be kind of generous. I just threw some names out there of guys who I think have a lot of potential that could, if they hit it, you know, maybe it'll work out. Who the heck knows? Yeah. Nice. Thank you for that lovely insight there. <laughs> well, any any last thoughts to share, Taylor, before we sign off? Well, so my recommendation this week is not a movie. Oh. It's not it's not something um, dumb like a, a book or just like an activity to do or sports either. It's a TV show, and it's Ooh. not a new one. Uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark is on Paramount+. Plus. So 
I don't remember if anyone ever tried to reboot this. If I, if they did, I probably blocked it out. Don't reboot it because <laughs> stop doing that. It is what, it, you know, it was what it was. Like what makes it charming and good is on when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to see it again now. No one's trying to do that. I don't know why I'm getting mad about this. Um, stop rebooting old shows. No one wants to see Punky Brewster. No one wants to see the 48 year old lady that used to pay Punky Brewster. No one's <laughs> interested. Who is that for? Anyway, Paramount Plus, if you have it, I have it because of Champions League and Europa Soccer, annoyingly. But a nice little add on to it is it has some Nickelodeon shows from back in the day. And, you know, before I'm going to bed sometimes, I like to tune in. Oh my God, you know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was my favorite show when I was a kid. It was on like 92 ish to about 2000. And it ended with a TV movie, if you remember, mm-hmm. the summer of 2000. Oh my God, it was an event. I loved it. I got one of those uh, blockbuster buckets of popcorn for it. It was great. Uh, the villain of the movie is an actual demon disguised as a child, which is something. Don't show that on TV these days to the kids. So that was a, it's a good time. Nice, nice. I like that. Good throwback. Have I said the Mighty Ducks reboot for my recommendation? Because if I have, I'm going to say it again. Have you watched this yet? No, I didn't even know it came out already. Oh man, there's already like four episodes out of it. I wow. am so pleasantly surprised by it. And I I haven't looked into how the ratings are for it, but I have been enjoying the hell out of it. It's so good. It like I really thought it was going to be a very corny concept to it, but it's really not. What were you going to say there? Sorry. Isn't it on Disney Plus only though? Like, it is on, on Disney TV? Plus. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus. Yeah, I, I hate to tell you, you can't check the ratings. The only times, the only way you can find out the ratings is uh, a press release from Disney. And if they're anything like Netflix, they'll just lie about it. Well, I mean like reviews from publications. Oh, reviews. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Just oh, how I other didn't even know that reading. started yet. Yeah. No. There's oh, a, there's... I, th- I thought you meant like TV ratings because I love when Netflix is like, oh, no. People watch Bird Box this week more than saw Ben Hur in theaters for yeah, all no. of history. And it's like, really? <laughs> come on. No, they didn't. I don't mean like that. People didn't watch goddamn Bird Box. I mean, other people yeah. rating it, not themselves. Yeah. Not Disney themselves. Yeah, no. I see what you mean. It's cool, though. I think it's really fun. I think that they aren't there. It's a very similar track, I guess, with the original movie, but it's in a very unique way. Like, I don't want to give too much away because I don't know if you're even going to watch it, but it's it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by it. And I don't want to say too much because maybe some people have been thinking about watching it because it's only a few weeks in. So with that being said, I will just say, go watch it. It's a fun watch. It's definitely like geared for a younger audience, but just being a fan of the Mighty Ducks, you'll appreciate it. So, and I think it's really good. The kid, like a lot of the actors in it too are really clever. Like there, there's some good actors, some funny, funny scenes, good storyline. And like, I'm legitimately like interested in what's going to happen with it moving forward. It's going to, it's done a good job of building week to week. So I'm going to recommend the new Mighty Ducks series. Nice. Who's your random Sabres player, Taylor? Benoit Pouliot. Wow. I like that. I'm going to go with Marc-Andre Grognani. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. All right. Any last thoughts you'd like to share before we sign off until Monday? Uh, Be nice to people. Wow. 
That was beautiful. All right. Well, be nice to people, everybody. All right, everybody. This has been another episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. Make sure you're checking out both the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics on their respective streaming platforms and on their social media platforms as well. Both of them can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and feature tons of great podcasts, shows, and other content that you should be consuming, whether you're looking for other NHL content throughout the league or Bill's coverage ahead of the NFL draft. So make sure you're following them. And also remember that this episode, as you had heard at the top, is brought to you also by DraftKings. So make sure you're using that promo code THPN at sign up and make sure you're following us on social media as well. You could find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, straight savers on Twitter, straight up savers on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow both of us individually at Brendan one, four, two, three, and at Nigrelli 93 on our personal Twitter accounts. Thank you all so much. As I had said before, we'll be back with a new episode on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody.